Amen. Well, you guys can have a seat. Thank you for joining us this morning. If this is your first time, man, we're so glad that you're here. My name is Luke, and just privileged to have you here this morning. Uh, Caroline reminded me last week, and we didn't even think about it, but last week was Super Bowl Sunday, and we were still in Texas. Last week, we had taken a trip. Um, I had graduated from seminary. We were praying about what God would have for us, and it had been a few months, and so we ended up taking a trip and going and just getting away and praying about, like, God, what do you have for this next season of life? Where are you going to plant us? And it was Super Bowl Sunday a year ago that we decided that God had called us back here, back home to plant this church. And so it was just this crazy thing of like, man, God, look at all that you have done. And that was just when he called us here. We didn't even plant this church until the middle of September. And so just to see what God is doing in this place is just a reminder of his faithfulness, a reminder of his goodness. And so we just give God glory for what he has done in this place. And we are excited that you're here. If you're new with us, we are just studying through the book of John. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in John chapter 8 this morning, starting in verse 12. But I want to say this before we get going. Sometimes we as believers almost live in like a shackled state, almost as if we're in house arrest. And we've been set free from prison, but we are still bound by these the sin and we're still we're still consumed by it when Jesus has said that he has come to set us free that he has come to set us free completely and so the title of today's message is just that it's unshackled and my prayer for us this morning is that as we dive into the word of God that we would see God's heart for his people that when he sets them free he gives us freedom but also what does that life look like what is life and what is freedom. So I pray that as we study this text, that God would reveal that to us this morning. Before we get going, I'm going to pray, and we're going to launch into the Word. God, we thank you for this morning. God, we just pray that your Spirit would be present in this place. And God, my prayer this morning is that if someone walked in here just bound up, and they don't even know who Jesus is, God, would you reveal your Son to them this morning? And for us that have been maybe believers for a long time, God, would we walk out of here unshackled? Would we walk out of here with just knowing what life and liberty and Jesus is, knowing what freedom is and also what it's not? So, God, we just thank you. We give you this morning, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So starting in verse 12, Jesus says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light, of life. What's interesting, if you were with us a few weeks ago, we know that Jesus referred to himself as water, or he said he could quench thirst. And it came at a perfect time when they were celebrating this Feast of Tabernacles. Well, this is on the heels of that. And this statement by Jesus would have been stunning because not only is he referencing himself to water or drink, but now he's bringing up light. You see, in this Feast of Tabernacles, there was this moment where they would light lights in the women's court, they called it, or the women's circle. And it was not just that women were only there, but that was as far into the temple as the women could go. And they would light these lights as a reminder of this. When God had brought them out of bondage from Egypt, he led them with a pillar of fire by night. 
And so in this moment, these, the, the, the Jews were celebrating this and remembering God removing them from slavery. So this light was on their minds. And all of a sudden, Jesus makes a statement that he is the light of the world. It had to have been stunning for them to, as they were thinking about God re- liberating them from slavery. Verse 13, so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. I almost envision this as a snarky statement, right? Hey, Jesus, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. In case you forgot Jesus, you remembered back in chapter 5, we saw that Jesus himself made a statement that if he testifies about himself, his statement is not true. And he referenced John the Baptist, his works, the scripture, and these these, these witnesses to Jesus. So the Jews are here saying, Jesus, oh yeah, well, we got you. You're testifying about yourself. What are you going to say about that? And I love Jesus' statement. He says this, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. All that to say this. Did you know that God does not need us to defend him? Did you know that our perception of him does not change his character nor his nature? Like God is God. He can bear witness about himself if he desires or if he does not desire, but it does not change the character and nature of God. He is consistent. Sometimes we get, I hear people say, well, I don't believe that God is that way, or I don't believe that God has said that or done that. And it's like, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe. It matters what, who he is. And so Jesus is making the statement that he is God, verse 15. And then he says this, you judge according to the flesh, or the other word for this is condemn, as we have seen over and over. I love how Jesus emphasizes this over and over and over. He did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. So far, we have seen that over and over and over in John. And it's the same word here that can be uttered condemned. So Jesus says, you He says, uh, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Then it says, in your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. And then he goes on to say, here's two witnesses. He says, I am one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me also bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? And Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. If we know anything about the Jews, this would have been a statement that would have really struck them deeply because they claimed to know Yahweh. They claimed to know God. They claimed to know the God who had set them free. And Jesus is saying, you're rejecting me. If you don't know me, you don't know my father. And he says this, verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury and he taught in the temple and no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. What was his hour? The hour where he would go to the cross. So he said to them, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot 
come. Jesus is saying here that they will continue after he goes to the cross, after he is glorified, they will continue to seek me. He's saying that you will continue to seek the Messiah that you think should be coming, yet you will miss me because I am right here. I have already come. The Savior has come, and you refuse to see me. And he says, after I leave, you will continue to seek after this Messiah, after this Savior, but I am right here. And it's interesting because in Jewish society, suicide was viewed as like the unforgivable sin. We know that if someone had killed themselves, according to Genesis 9-5, someone who murdered someone was supposed to pay for a life with their own blood. And if you killed yourself, you could not pay for that life with your own blood because you have taken your own life. And it was viewed as the ultimate damnation. And so the Jews were probably thinking here, well, we can't go where Jesus is going. He's talking about his killing himself. We can't go to that place. And, and, and so they really had this perception of when Jesus said he's leaving that maybe he's going to kill himself. Maybe he's going to commit suicide. And Jesus says this, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. Before we go on, I want to say this. Sin in the singular here is referring to the sin of unbelief. Sins in the plural is referring to this mushroom effect of not believing upon Jesus as your Savior. So he's addressing both sides. He's saying, you will die in your sin of unbelief. If you do not believe that I am who I said that I am, you will die in your sin. I have come to set you free. I have not come to condemn. I have come to set you free, but you must believe upon me. It's very interesting. When we look at John, there is no room for universalism. Zero. All throughout the gospel of John, there is no room. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. And Jesus makes that very, very clear here and throughout the gospel. There is no room for universalism in John's gospel. So they said to him, who are you? <laughs> Can't you just imagine Jesus here? <laughs> who are you, Jesus? And he said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. <laughs> Can't you just see him like, good grief, people. Like, are you kidding me? How many times do I have to tell you who I am? Like, I love his statement. I, I almost sense, like, some sarcasm in it. Like, who do you think that I am? Who do you think I've been telling you that I am since I have come? And you still free, refuse to believe. I can just see him. I can just see Jesus. I mean, this statement just jumps off the page to me. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. <laughs> right? Sometimes I think that he views me the same way. It's like... Come on, Luke, like, I've revealed myself. I've shown myself faithful. You keep coming. Who are you, Jesus? Like, reveal, show yourself faithful, God. And he's like, Luke, I, I'm the same. Like, I've revealed myself. Just open your eyes. Just trust me. Just believe me. Just believe who I am. And then he says this, verse 26, I have much to say about you and much to judge. And he who has sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. Crazy again. How, like, he has addressed the Father over and over and over and over, and they still don't understand. Sounds familiar. Sounds like me sometimes. So Jesus said to them, 
When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority. What does this mean? When, when they lift up the Son of Man, Jesus is saying, when you lift me up to the cross, when you lift up the Son of Man to the cross to crucify him, then you will see that I am who I said that I am. He's saying, just wait. I'm about to display my glory. I'm about to magnify my name. And it will happen in this pivotal moment when you lift me up to the cross. And then he says this, And he who sent me is with me, and he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And he was saying these things, and as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And then don't miss this, because this is kind of the culmination of the context of this scripture that we are going to dive into this morning. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide, or this word remain, if you abide or remain in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that we can become free? So immediately we know that the Jews knew that they had been in bondage to other nations. I mean, they were captive to Egypt, Syria, Babylon, Greece, Syria, Rome. Like, they had been, they had been under slavery here. So it's not talking about this, this being enslaved to a people. It's talking about, Jesus is talking about the enslavement of sin. See, and so, and, and, and they answer, so we're the offspring of Abraham, and they're saying, we have not been enslaved to anyone. We're, we're free. We're, we're the people of God. We are not enslaved. And, and then Jesus says this. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, Jesus says. I'm not a dummy. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So what is going on here? Jesus is making a statement that anyone who is a slave to sin will remain in bondage. But anyone whom the Son sets free will be free indeed, will be given life to the full, will be given abundance of freedom. So the question then becomes, what is life and what is freedom and what is this enslavement to sin? I've summed it up like this. An enslavement to sin is this, an ever an enslaving devotion to created things at the expense of worship of the creator. See, essentially, we're enslaved to worshiping the creation over the creator. This is an enslavement to sin. We are still bound in prison to sin if we offer our worship to anyone else other than God. Timothy Keller wrote a book one time, and it was called Counterfeit Gods, and he makes this statement. He said, essentially, the Bible tells us that the human heart is an idol factory, taking good things and making them into idols that drive us. 
I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking, man, what are some... We actually had dinner with a couple this week, and we were talking a little bit about idols, and they're like, man, America doesn't even really know what idols are. Like, you go to other countries, and people are physically worshiping idols. But we all have idols in this room. We all have things that we give our lives to, that we give our hearts to, that drive us. See, anything that steals the worship of the Creator and offers it to the creation is an idol. And I was thinking about my life and just how I am wired. Like, I am driven. Like, I have a standard of perfection. I drive myself to perfection. I want things to be done well. I want them to be done right. And when I set my mind to something, I often just pursue it with everything that I am. And I was thinking in high school, I set this goal that I wanted to be an all-state basketball player my senior year of high school. So everything at basketball season really revolved around that. I remembered going into the gym early and shooting and getting there an hour before school and shooting. And if I had a bad game, I would stay at the gym some nights late and shoot and practice. And it was like my whole life was driven towards this one goal of being all state in basketball. And while that's not a bad thing, I mean, lots of these things that can become idols are not bad things. In fact, many of them are great things. This, this was a great thing that I desired, but what I found myself doing was starting to lose sight of what God was calling me to be just as a man, as a believer, and I was focused everything on this goal because I wanted recognition. I wanted to accomplish the goal. Now, I did. Unanimously, I was voted All-State my senior year of high school, and I played at Big Fork, and it was great, but it was like I look back at that, and it's like it was my sole pursuit. It was everything that I gave my life to was this one goal, and when I accomplished it, I was like, that's great, but in the end, it's empty. See, Jesus is going to show us here that he wants these things, that he wants our heart, and he wants nothing to enslave us. Why? Because it offers life and freedom. So where we're going the rest of this uh, morning is I want to just talk about a few things. What is Jesus saying, and what is it to be free? Because I think sometimes in the church we're like, yeah, we've been set free from sin. We've been given this freedom in Christ, and, and we're no longer enslaved to that. But what does it really mean? Like, how does that impact me? What does it look like if I've been set free? What is life if I've been set free? Well, first off, I want to say this. What Jesus is talking about is to be set free is to be set free from the bondage of sin. So when we are set free from the bondage of sin, I believe this is really what true life is. If you could sum it up, and it's hard to sum it up, but it's this. A peace and a trust that whatever happens is okay. It's this peace that passes all understanding that you can say regardless of circumstance, it is well with my soul. It is well. Jesus has come to offer life to anyone who will call upon his name. He says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So what is this freedom? What is this life? I believe it is really, if we look at it like, God, whatever happens in my life, if I lose everything, if I lose whatever, my business or a friend, or if I lose whatever it is, it is still well with my soul. This is freedom. To know that we are not chained to this world, to know that we are living for someplace greater, this is not our home. See, think about this. 
The enemy cannot counterfeit a peace that passes understanding, but he can manipulate bondage to appear as freedom. I'm going to say it again. The enemy cannot counterfeit a peace that passes understanding. Peace cannot be counterfeited. Peace is this deep assurance, this deep belief, this deep trust that God is who he said he is, and circumstances don't change that. But what the enemy tries to do is he tries to manipulate bondage to appear as freedom. What do I mean by that? I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about this idea of house arrest. Right? What house arrest is, is if someone is awaiting trial or they have been in prison and um, the legal team decides, oh, you can, you can go home, but you're still arrested and you have to wear this ankle bracelet and you have to check in with your parole officer. And so there's really, there's a sense of freedom, but you're not free. There's a sense of freedom because you're not in prison. You're not bound up behind bars. But you're in, your home, you're in your own home, but you are still in bondage. Like you are still not free. And I was thinking about that in the light of what Jesus is saying, and I think this is what happens often to us as believers. When Jesus comes, he frees us from prison if we are in him. He sets us free. There is no strings attached. We are no longer behind bars. We have been set completely free. But what happens is we as believers often leave prison being set free by the blood of Jesus and we wander around in house arrest everywhere we go and we're like, man, I messed up and I feel this ankle thing on my ankle and it just reminds me of my sin. Man, I really messed up. I'm trying to get outside of my house, but I just have this thing. I'm not free. Like I'm still in bondage, but I kind of feel like I'm free because I'm not in prison. What Jesus is saying is whom the Son sets free is free indeed. If Jesus sets you free, there is no house arrest. There's utter freedom. There's utter life in the King. And when we have this life, we realize that whatever the world throws at us, it is well with my soul. It is well. And my prayer this morning is that as the church, as myself, that we would get to this place where we realize that Jesus has redeemed us from our sin. Caroline and I were talking about this last night. She's like, I've been thinking about this idea of redemption and how often she's said for her, like she thinks of this idea of being redeemed from sin as like God redeemed her sin. And she's like, I don't think it's accurate. God redeemed me from my sin. And when he redeems us from our sin, we are completely free. And that's what Jesus wants. That's what God wants for the believer is he wants us to know how good he is. We wa he wants us to know what this true life is, what this true freedom is, that we are not under house arrest, that the prison doors have been opened and we are free. See, the enemy loves to condemn us. Jesus doesn't condemn us. He said he came to set us free, not condemn us. And when we're under house arrest, every mistake we make is often, oh, gosh, God, I messed up again. Oh, God, I did it again. Which is healthy. Conviction is a good thing because it drives us to Jesus, but we cannot be bound by that. If Jesus has set us free, he has set us free. 
And our pursuit then is solely him. Our pursuit is that we would pursue him and desire him and not be a slave to sin. That's the beauty of the gospel. That if you are in Jesus this morning, you have been completely set free. But if you have never surrendered your life to him, you are still behind the bars of prison and you are enslaved to sin. And you will remain there until you believe upon the finished work of Christ. Think how amazing it would be if the church really realized the weight by which we have been forgiven. This is not a license to sin. Grace and mercy are not a license to sin. It's just that Jesus has redeemed us from our sin. He has set us free. And this should free us to love this world well to love our neighbors well. We should look different to those around us. You know what looks different to a hurting world? When someone can look at you and say, man, I don't know how they're doing it. Their life is falling apart. Their business is crumbling. They lost their job. Their marriage is rocky. whatever it may be, and they look at you and say, but you know what I can't shake? You know what I can't understand? Is that they can say, it is well with my soul. They can say that regardless of the circumstance, I serve a great king. This is life. This is freedom. And that's what the world wants. That's what the world is searching for is this God that can set them free. Are we going to mess up and sin? Sure. We're just not defined by our sin anymore. We're defined by our Savior, and that should cause us to run after him as hard as we can. That's the beauty of the gospel, is even when we fall, Jesus is there. Even when we make another mistake, Jesus is there. He does not hold it against us because all God sees is the blood of his Son washed over you if you are in Christ. This is freedom, and this is life. And this is what will change the world. Is a bunch of people that say, man, I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. And let me share with you what true life is. It's freedom. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's all of it. See, Jesus says those who practice sin are a slave to sin. And if you're a slave to sin, you are not free. You live in bondage. But if you live, and if you live in bondage, you have no peace. But the Son can set you free. Did you know one of the greatest marks of a believer, one of the greatest marks to know if you are free is this? Do you have a peace inside of your soul that all is well? That's life. And that's life to the full. You know what's interesting about this word free? If you look at it in the Greek, it's in the future tense active voice, which means this. That Jesus is not just saying that he's setting you free from your sin and giving you eternal life in the future. He's saying it's also active right now that he has come to set you free so that you might live in freedom right now. It's both. 
That's the beauty of the gospel. See, often in the church we hear, give your life to Jesus so you don't spend eternity in hell. And while hell is real, the gospel is this. Give your life to Jesus so you might have abundance of life so that you might have abundance of freedom now, so that you might have this peace that can quench the thirst of your soul. Because if you don't have Jesus, you will never have peace. You will never be fully content. You will never be set free. Because only Jesus can offer peace. The enemy cannot counterfeit peace. This is life. And this is So the question is, okay, Luke, that's great if that's what it is, but how is it obtained? What is the secret to being set free? Well, Jesus says it right here. Verse 31. He says, if you abide or remain in my word, remain in me, then you know that you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, the beautiful thing about freedom is we cannot earn it, we cannot gain it, we can do nothing to receive it. It comes from remaining in the word, remaining in Jesus. That's a mark of a true disciple. He says, if you remain in me, then you know that you that then you know that 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 you are truly my disciple. If you remain in me when life is hard, if you remain in me when life doesn't make sense, when it's all spiraling out of control, this is a fruit that will reveal to you that you have been set free and that you are indeed in me. It's not fleeting. It's Jesus' words, not mine, right? He says, if you do this, then you are truly my disciples, if you remain in me. See, it's through remaining in Jesus, regardless of the circumstance or trial, that proves that your faith is true. The world is watching. The world is watching us and saying, well, how are they going to respond when their world starts to fall apart? Are they going to respond like the world, or is there something different? And the only way that we can stand faithful, that we can remain true regardless of circumstance or trial is if we remain in the word, if we remain in Jesus. See, if your faith is true, you live in the fullness of life and freedom. Think about this. In 1900, the Contreras family moved to Houston, Texas from Mexico. See, there had been some storms uh, there's many hurricanes there, and they, they saw this opportunity because Houston had been identified as a new deep sea port where the industry was about to explode, where the economy was about to boom. And so this family in Mexico said, we want to move to Houston to capitalize on this and make a better life for ourselves. When they got there at this point in time, uh, because of segregation laws, they had to live in the Mexican immigrant section of Houston which was the lowest section of Houston. So every time a storm came, every time it rained, every time there was a hurricane, this place flooded. Every time. So this family settled here, and it says that this family endured five generations of storms. The first one was in 1935. And they lost their son. This this big rain had come in this bayou, and he dove in to save someone. He hit his head, and it killed him on the spot. 
1961, Hurricane Carla hit, destroying many homes in the area, but their home happened to be on stilts, so it was high enough where it didn't completely flood, but all their neighbors' homes flood, and they suffered some damage, but not a lot. It was in this storm that the family prepared by storing, think about this, they literally were storing water in trash bags and feeding 12 people. That was their water jug, trash bags, as they waded out this storm. In 1983, Hurricane Alicia hits. They opted to hunker down, they said, and their house was on stilts, so it withstood the storm and the the home survived with minimal damage. 2001, Tropical Storm Allison hit. When this storm hit, though, they were in New York, and they saw this big screen TV, and their neighborhood flashed up on the screen, and they could see that their entire neighborhood was underwater, and their first thought was, there is no way when I get home, my home is going to make it. It's gone. Everything that I own, all of my belongings are going to be gone. However, they got back, and by the grace of God, their home had not been destroyed. 2017, Hurricane Harvey hit, and... We had just moved to Texas to start going to school, and we, uh, man, we brought a trailer of food and water to that city after that storm, and it was unbelievable. The devastation in that storm was unbelievable. The hurt and the need and, and the pain in that storm was really, I, I can't even explain what we saw, but they endured this storm, and if you heard anything about this storm, at that time, the Army Corps of Engineers needed to release water from an overfilled reservoir, or the reservoir was going to break and flood the entire place. The problem was, was these people's home was below that reservoir that they were going to let loose, and they knew when the reservoir was released that their home would be flooded. They knew the water was going to be higher than it had ever been, so they said one of their aunts raced to collect all the family photos, and then It said she opened a bottle of wine, sat on the porch, and just waited for a rescue boat to come. See, this family had endured five major storms, but they had never left. And the daughter who was writing this article said this. She said, given all the storms in all these years, I had to ask my mom one simple question. Why? Why stay and endure more and keep building and starting anew? Her answer was this. Houston is our home, she said. You don't run every time there is a problem. We deal with it, and you keep going. And the daughter said she marveled at this and at her mother's faith because over the years, over and over and over, she said her mom always said this, we're going back because God has a plan. I don't know what it is, but God has a plan. And she said that, that her faith caused her to marvel. But the point is this. Why did she remain? Why did they keep going back to the house? Why did they remain in their home? Why did they abide in their home regardless of circumstances, regardless of storm after storm after storm? Because it was their home. Because it was their home, because they couldn't bear to leave. Because when it's their home, when everything you have is there, you can endure pain, you can endure circumstance, you can endure storms, you can endure trials, and all of this because it is your home. Jesus is saying that if you remain in me, that if you'll endure the storms, that if you endure the trials, if you endure the pain, it proves that I am your home. It proves that you 
are my disciples. See, the problem is this. Often, the first thing we want to do when the first hardship comes is run. And it's in this running that really reveals who our faith is in. See, Jesus is saying there's going to be pain, there's going to be circumstance, there's going to be trial, there's going to be struggle. But if you remain in me, if you remain in my word through it all, it proves that you are truly my disciples. This is freedom. This is freedom knowing that regardless of circumstance, you can rest and say, like this woman said about her home, it is well with my soul. God has a plan. I don't understand it. It is well. That's what keeps you going back. And that's what proves the genuineness of your faith is how we endure trials. And this is freedom. And this is life. When you can say, man, I just have peace. That God is in control. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. But God, even if you take it all, I am yours. I am yours, and I have peace. See, that's what Jesus is saying. If you remain in me, then you are truly my disciples. So the question is really this. If you think about your life and if you ponder it, what's your first response when something happens that is unexpected? Is it to run? Is it to run from your faith? Is it to say, well, God, I thought you were good, but now this has happened, so you must not be. Did you know that if you are in Christ, You are going to walk through things that seem unbearable, and God allows you to walk through them so that he might reveal himself and set you free. So just because life doesn't always work the way that we think it should work, Jesus is saying, I'm using it to see, are you truly my disciple? It's my belief, and I could be wrong, that persecution is coming to this country in various ways. I just think the church is going to be challenged, and we're going to be forced to stand, and we're going to be forced to stand upon truth. So when those trials come, when those times come that we have to take a stand, if we are not abiding in Jesus now, if we are not remaining in him now, we will be proven to not be his disciples when persecution comes because we will run and we will crumble. See, the beauty about trials is it exposes who the true people of God are. How do you respond? In the world, when the world looks at you, how are you responding? This is a mark. It's not my words. Jesus says that's the mark of a true disciple. He said right there, I mean, it's his words. If you abide in my word, then you are truly my disciples. And then the beauty of the statement is this, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So my heart this morning is this as we close. Where are you this morning? 
Are you remaining in him? Are you, are you constant in him? And it's not that you do it all perfect and you do it all right and you never make a mistake. It's, it's your desire to continually pursue him, to continually remain in him and say, God, regardless of circumstances, I am yours. God, regardless of what the world throws at me, I have a peace. That is how you know if you've been set free. You want to know how you've been set free is this. Do you have a peace that passes understanding? And can you say when the trials come, when the storms destroy your house, it is well with my soul? If you can't, you're not living in the fullness of the life that God desires to give you. He has come to set you free. He has come to give us life. And that's the beauty of the gospel. As we close, I want to say this. Maybe you're in this place and you think, well, Luke, I have, I don't even really know who this Jesus guy is. I just want to say this. Jesus loves you so much. God loves you so much that he sent his son not to condemn you, but to set you free. And if you will just say, God, I don't even know what I need. God, I'm in the middle of the biggest storm of my life. God, I cannot change it. I cannot control it. I don't know what to do. If you will turn to him and say, God, I don't even know what to pray. But I believe that Jesus is who he said he is. That I believe he came and lived a sinless life. I believe he hung on a cross for my sins. I believe he was buried in the grave and resurrected on the third day and then ascended to the right hand of the Father. If you believe that and profess him as Savior and Lord, he will set you free. He will give you more life than you can imagine. He can give you more freedom than you will ever experience on your own. Because until you come to him, you will continue to stand behind the bars of prison and look out into the world and say, I just want to be free. Jesus is the one who can unlock the cell. And unless Jesus unlocks the cell, you'll live in bondage until the day you die. But he's offering you life this morning. He says, I'm the same. Just believe me for who I am. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I turn from my sin. I repent of my sin, and I turn to you. I no longer want to be a slave to sin, but I want to be a son of the Most High God, a son of the King, and in a moment, he will set you free. And it's not going to be easy, and it's not fireworks a lot of times, but he'll give you this deep, Rest inside of your soul that it is well with my soul. Bring on the storms. Bring on the struggle. Bring on the pain. Bring on whatever it is. God, because I have a peace inside of my soul that this is not my home. And this is life. And this is freedom. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for how you move, God. I thank you for your heart. I thank you for the ways that you're moving in this room. God, and I just pray right now in this place, God, that you would meet me where I'm at, that you would meet all of us where we are at, God, and that you would just show us who you are. God, even in the struggle, even in the ways that we mess up, God, even in the ways that we fall short, the beauty of the gospel is this, that you just see us as redeemed. 
So would we not be a people that walk around on house arrest with this bracelet reminding us of our sin, but would we be a people that break forth out of the walls of prison and remember the greatness of our great Savior who has redeemed us from our sin, who has set us free, and that we might be a light to the world around us? God, as you said right in the beginning, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, that is our cry this morning, that we would follow in behind you, that we would let you lead, that we would let you guide, and we would just say, God, thank you for redeeming me from my sin. Thank you for setting me free. Now, God, help me to live in that. Help me to see what life is. Help me to see what freedom is, God. Would I no longer be a slave to sin, but would I be a son of the Most High God? And oh, how that would change this valley if we as a people would march forward in the confidence of this redemption that we have been granted. And God, for the person maybe in this room that has never been set free, Your word says no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws. God, I'm asking you to draw in this place right now. I'm asking you to set the captive free. Where the the, the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So God, in this place, just move in a powerful way. Do the things that only you can do. Draw men and women to yourself, God and set us free so that we might leave these walls freed with true life, freed with true freedom so that we might be the hands and feet, that we might be your church and that we might be the people that the world looks on and says, I don't know what they have, but I want it because trials, tribulations, struggles, circumstances, they don't impact them. And we would be able to see, say, Oh, if only you knew, let me tell you of this great Savior, of this great Redeemer who has set me free so that you no longer have to be in prison, so you no longer have to be on house arrest, but that he has indeed inserted the key into the walls of my cell and opened it up and said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. God, do a work in this place this morning. We love you. We believe you, God. Holy Spirit, do a work in the hearts people in this place, including myself, so that we might know you and believe you and trust you. We pray it in Jesus' name.